ultimately, when I do find a joke that works for me, it makes me feel like I'm part of something that other people are also part of, and that I was able to find a connection there and find some sort of truth. Because that's ultimately what makes something funny is if there's that truth that other people can see as well. I'm Lily Percy, and this is Creating Our Own Lives, cool for short. The podcast where I ask people to think through how they shape their lives, and hopefully by listening, we learn how to create our own. This season on Cool, we're talking about humor as a tool for survival, and humor is my coping mechanism. It's what I use to make sense of sadness, anger, fear, and especially loneliness. And it's why I was so drawn to Johnny's son when I first read him on Twitter. His tweets alternate between silly jokes and insightful, almost Buddhist poetry, as told through his alter ego, a lonely alien who views the world as an outsider with curiosity and wonder. Through his words, Johnny's son has formed a community of almost half a million followers on Twitter. Reading him makes me feel less alone. Well, I have to say, I'm resisting the temptation of reading essentially all of your Twitter feed because it is so... (laughs) Wonderful. So I'm just going to read, kind of pepper through the conversation, a couple of my favorites, if you don't mind. Sure, um, yeah, absolutely. One of which, which is, uh, Waldo, we can't play hide and seek with you anymore. First of all, you keep bringing us a terrifying world of whimsy. And second, you never actually hide. It's so good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so I have to say, where, like growing up, where did you find humor? Who was the person who made you laugh the most? Oh, man. Um, so I grew up in I was born in Calgary, Alberta, um, and I moved to Toronto when I was a kid. But I was one of those kids, I think, who always had the TV on. And my parents were always like, stop, you can't watch The Simpsons after <laughs> school. But I would like, but they wouldn't be home sometimes. So I would go home and turn the TV on and watch The Simpsons until they came home. And then I'd like turn it off and pretend to be reading or something. Um, but I always, I think, had comedy as this thing that I could go to. And I think as a kid, it was kind of a retreat um, Mm. from, I guess, the real world, or it was like a way to satiate um, myself. And it was before The Simpsons, it was The Muppet Show. And I think those were the two big influences as a kid for me. Mm. Like media and entertainment, I think, was one of the ways that I found... I was able to communicate just through reference or just through being able to have everyone gather around and watch TV or watch a movie and then Mm. kind of be able to talk about it. And I guess growing up, that was my primary way of interfacing with everyone else. Hmm. Are you parents immigrants? Because what you're saying is really, um, I mean, I relate to it. I'm Colombian and and we moved from Uh Colombia when I was four. And that became a way for me to kind of be able to connect with the world was TV. And even with yeah. my own family, like TV and movies is what we did to be able to kind yeah. of connect. I wonder if that's something that you kind of notice. Yeah, that was um, why I didn't know how to really bring that up. But yeah, my parents are immigrants. And I find it so fascinating that the more people I talk to who have immigrant parents, um, that is like a common experience where totally this is the culture that I was like born into, but my parents were not. Yeah, and it's like we're learning to fit in <laughs> through watching other culture, particularly. Ab- yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it, it, I think it was like, yeah, we were we were all learning in different ways, right? Like this was, for me, this was like how to become part of this culture because my parents were also figuring that out, and so I had no guideposts aside mm. from what popular culture was was showing. Where are they from? 
uh, China. China. Yeah, and my brother and I were born in in Canada. So are they funny people, your parents? Like, how did you see humor in them? Or is that something you turn to to pop culture and television for? So I, the way I would describe it is I think my parents were funny in China. <laughs> yeah. And I think when I see them amongst, like, we went to China um, to visit kind of their friends and family and their old um, lives. And mm-hmm. when we went there, they were the stars and they were like the center of attention and they made everyone laugh. And it was this this kind of like way of seeing my parents that I never really saw them here. Like they've very much become part of um, the North American culture and the culture in Canada. But I think the time when they really come alive and they really kind of shine and their charm and wit and character kind of comes out when they're amongst other Chinese people because mm. I think that's the shared culture, right? And that's yeah. the shared language and the shared expectation. And they're just, oh, they're they're so great and so social and so funny in that context. Mm. So one of the things that I love about your writing is, um, I mean, it really reads like poetry when I read it. And it's, you know, the words are so perfectly framed and positioned, you know, which they have to be in order to have the meaning and like really land, you know? Thank you. And I mean, you have such a strong, intimate community. Um, like one of the things that I really admire is that, you know, people aren't just retweeting your your writing. They're inspired by it. Like they create works of art and paintings. Right. And I mean, they become even more creative because of it. I mean, how how has that helped you connect with other people? Oh, it's just the best thing ever. Like I... Like someone created like a moment, like a compilation of all these paintings and drawings that someone did based on one of my tweets. And I was like flipping through them and there were so many and I just started like crying Um, because that's what I did when I was a kid. Like I looked to other artists and I created Mm. stuff based on that because I think that's how you learn to find your voice. And that's how you learn to um, to know how to create is by finding your heroes or finding the people that make works that you love and being inspired by them. Yeah. And so there was like a moment of realization where I realized I'm that person to some other people. And it was just this incredibly overwhelming emotional moment for me because that's all I did. And that's all I still do. I still just find the things I love and I just want to play with them and I play in those worlds and kind of learn from them and coalesce that into something new. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. It, I mean, it really is inspiring to look and see what you've inspired others to to do. But just on a personal mm-hmm. level, what, what I love is that you, in your writing, you're unafraid to say the things that we're all feeling and thinking, <laughs> yeah. um, which is so brave. I mean, even you gave an interview once where you were talking about, um, I think the interviewer asked you if there was one thing that you could say to make everyone's life a little bit better at the end of the interview. And you said that acknowledging we're all going to die. <laughs> yeah. And I read that and I said, think, yes, it's so true. <laughs> like you, you yeah, say, like why, why ignore that? Why are we not talking about this? Like, why are we uh-huh. just always pretending that this isn't really true? And what you said after that is that if you recognize that, then you really know that your time is limited and you just have to do mm-hmm. what makes you happy. And that means you have to find love. You have to do the things you want to do. You have to make things. You have to follow your interests and your passions. And that's, right. I feel like that's at the heart of, I mean, so much of your writing is just that 
wanting to reach and hold on to the things because we know that we're going to die. Yeah, yeah. Once you accept that, you kind of, um, or I've, I've become more grateful. Definitely. Um, I, I was curious about, especially reading, I read this one tweet where you said, a child lets go of a helium balloon and watches it float up into the sky. I hope dad gets this one, he quietly whispers to himself. And I was mm-hmm. thinking, did you grow up hearing Jack Handy on Saturday Night Live? Is that at all? I didn't. Really? I didn't at all. Um, and it's, I sorry, I get really excited when yeah, people talk about Jack because, Handy. No, because like that was someone like I, I wrote down my favorite things that he said. <laughs> and like uh-huh. that one reminded me of, you know, the if a kid asks where rain comes from, I think a cute thing to tell him is God is crying. And if he asks why God is crying, another cute thing to tell him is probably because of something you did. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, Jack Handy is like a legend, right? Yeah. And I only discovered him after I started doing sketch comedy. So I discovered him really late. Um, Again, that's because I started watching SNL. And SNL was another big kind of staple once I started like getting old enough to understand why it was funny and what what it was. And when I was old enough to stay up that late. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which always felt like you're doing something wrong. I know when my dad let me stay up with him and he changed the channel when it was too sexual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was always a thing. But Jack Handy was very welcome. Oh, was, yeah. And so human too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what I'm interested in as a writer is to find that humanness from any source. And I think like the sillier and the more bizarre the place you can find that humanness, the more affecting that humanness oh, is. So true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm looking at something you wrote. Give a man a fish and he'll say, what is this I ordered a McFlurry? Teach a man a fish and he'll say, how are you the manager of this McDonald's? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it's just, it's perfect. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, um, I think what I love about Twitter, um, one of the things is that because it's, constrained to 140 characters Mm. um there's that challenge and it's like basically a design challenge where you're given this limited palette and this limited set of tools and what can you make out of it that's original and different and strange and i think one of the cool phenomena of um twitter and of internet comedy is like the idea of formats and the idea Mm. of um memes and these things that i think because you have so little space to work with anything that you can borrow or that you can establish that gives you structure and that sets up the joke right away is helpful, which is why I like the give a man a fish thing is such a popular format on Twitter because it's so like with that one line, it's a very economical way to establish like place setting tone, um, character, Mm. all that stuff. And then it's once you have that platform and once you can, once you can set that up, it's so much easier to upend that and, um, flip that around. And find the humor in it. I love that you said economical because it makes me think that you're attacking it like a math problem. <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I'm always attacking things as a math problem and as a design problem. <laughs> so thank you. I, I appreciate that. Very, very cool. So um, I'm really curious as to how you're going to answer this. And um, what do you find in humor? What does it give you that you're really grateful for that you find nowhere else? I think it's a way to connect. Um, When I write something that resonates with people and that makes people laugh, it's gratifying not not for the reason of like, oh, I'm like funny or oh, I'm smart. It's more like I 
am still part of this larger group of people. Because I think humor ultimately is a social tool. Mm. I think it's something that is used essentially to say, oh, you're part of us. And it's um, as much of, as it is a tool for exclusion sometimes, it's a tool for, for inclusion and for mm. making people feel comfortable and making everyone realize we're all together on this. And we're not alone, which is how I feel when I read your writing. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. And like for me, that's a lot of people have that response and they've said things like, this makes me feel not alone or I'm glad that I read this. And for me, it's the, it serves the same purpose. Like I'm writing this to um, help myself feel less alone and help myself feel more connected. So I think when I do find a joke that works, um, for me, it makes me feel like I'm part of, st I'm still tapped in, like I'm still part of something that other people are also part of and that I was able to um, find a connection there and find some sort of truth because that's ultimately what makes something funny is if there's that truth that other people can see as well. Johnny's son is an architect, a poet, a designer, an engineer, a playwright, a doctoral student at MIT. His remarkable resume is 12 pages long. His book, Everyone's an Alien When You're an Alien Too, is out June 27th. His Twitter handle is at Johnny's son, and his funny, thoughtful tweets keep me from hating social media. So follow him. Creating Our Own Lives is produced by Maya Terrell, Chris Hegel, and Trent Gillis, and is an On Being Studios production. You can listen and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. And leave us a review on iTunes. It matters more than you think. I'm Lily Percy. Thanks for listening.